Welcome to Rob's Reliability Project, a podcast for maintenance and reliability people to better themselves both at home and at work. Now let's get rolling. Welcome to Rob's Reliability Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. On this week's episode, I welcome Tom Moriarty to the show. Tom is the author of The Productive Leadership System and the president of Allidade MER. We discuss the skills and processes around productive leadership and how that leadership impacts reliability. If you haven't yet, check out my website, robsreliability.com, and sign up for the weekly reliability newsletter. And I hope you enjoy that new one each Monday. If you like the show, please subscribe to Rob's Reliability Project on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss out on the new episode each week, as well as tell your colleagues and friends about the show. It's been really growing lately, so I really appreciate you guys doing that. And finally, if there are any topics, guests you'd like to hear from, questions you want answered, or if you'd like to appear on the podcast, send me an email to Rob's Reliability Project at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Now let's get into the interview with Tom Moriarty. Hey guys, we're back. And today we got a special guest, Tom Moriarty. Tom, how are you? I'm doing great, Rob. Thanks. No, I'm, I'm excited for this one. Like you recently called, published a book called The Productive Leadership System. Do you want to just, before we jump into it, you know, all, obviously... The first thing was we bumped up the interview because you wanted to go golfing. So let's t- tell me a little bit about golfing. Like, what do you <laughs> like about it? And and one thing that I've always wondered is a lot of people, they like to golf, but it's very frustrating. Like, how do you get over the frustration? Yeah, so it's, uh, to me, it's uh, very much like life or very much like engineering. There's no such thing as a perfect solution. And so uh, I go out there. I've been playing since I was six years old. Uh, never got real good. Um, I got down to maybe a eight handicap for a period of time. Right now, I'm probably about a ten. And uh, so the the thing that's interesting to me is that it's always a challenge. You can figure something out. Uh, say your putting game, and you do really well with putting, but then your drives or your fairway shots start to deteriorate. And so it's always a challenge. It's always something that you have to work on to get better. And uh, that's what I like about it. I mean, it's obviously being out in the sunshine and and nature and seeing birds and fish jumping and all that stuff is kind of fun too. But to me, it's more the challenge about how do you, how can you get the entire game together? Because parts of it are kind of strength-based, you know, being able to hit a good drive, a straight drive. Uh, and then around the greens, you need a lot of touch. So you need different tools to be successful and you have to constantly work at them, uh, you know, and frankly, like leadership. Yeah, it's a lot like engineering. It's a lot like leadership. It's a lot like reliability. You can't really ever stop learning. Correct. That's right. So, Tom, obviously you're the author, the productive leadership system. You're also an author in monthly plant services magazine. Do you want to just give us a background about you? Like how'd you get your start in reliability? Well, it's a pretty long story, but I'll, I'll try to keep it as short uh, so we don't waste too much time here. Uh, It's been a progression over uh, the course of my life. Um, 
I started way back when I was probably, uh, you know, 13 or 14 years old. Uh, I was that kid in the neighborhood that uh, was fixing things and, you know, trying to uh, make things better. So I would do things like uh, fixing light fixtures or installing uh, outlets and things like that. Um, I also got a pretty good reputation for repairing old vacuum tube TV tel uh, television sets. Um, I figured out one time I watched a uh, TV repair guy, you know, pulling out tubes and testing them in a tester. And I noticed that the um, uh, local pharmacy had a tube tester down there. So I figured out how to do that. And I made a lot of money <laughs> from my neighbors <laughs> doing that. Uh, then I started working on, uh, you know, general labor guy at a, in light equipment and boat repairs at a local marina on the Connecticut River in the town I grew up in uh, pretty much through high school. And I, you know, started repairing my own cars and my friends' cars. And uh, when I was a junior in high school, I got the bug to join the Coast Guard. So I went to uh, recruit training after my junior year of high school. Um, finished high school while I was in the Coast Guard Reserves, and then I went on active duty shortly after I graduated high school. And uh, soon after I graduated high school and went on active duty, I went to uh, Coast Guard's Machinery Technician School. And so when I was on active duty, I worked as a machinery technician at uh, search and rescue stations and aboard a Coast Guard cutter out of Boston. And uh, as a machinery technician in those days, you worked on anything mechanical including engines, uh, you know, two-stroke, four-stroke, gasoline, diesel, gas turbine, even uh, steam propulsion. Uh, also did uh, hydraulics, pump and piping systems, HVAC and refrigeration systems, anything mechanical. So we even trained in uh, rudimentary machining, welding, and uh, electrical troubleshooting. So after being in a, a machinery technician for about nine years, I applied for and I was selected for officer candidate school. And uh, so when I came out of officer candidate school, I stayed in uh, what's called the naval engineering field. And uh, later I earned a bachelor, bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering, became a professional engineer. And uh, while I was in the officer corps, uh, I was uh, assistant engineer officer on one cutter. And then I was the engineer officer uh, or what the Navy calls chief engineer uh, aboard two different cutters. Uh, and at a couple of uh, shore assignments related to maintenance and reliability of the cutter fleet. So in those shore assignments, I was uh, certified uh, and heavily involved in reliability centered maintenance and improving maintenance management. And uh, when the Coast Guard had not been uh, working too much with condition monitoring, I was uh, integrating condition monitoring technologies into the types of work that we were doing on the ships. And uh, that led to me being selected as the Coast Guard's Federal Engineer of the Year in 2003. Um, over my entire Coast Guard career, I was always interested in improving the reliability and availability of systems. And so when you go out to sea on systems that you worked on, it's in your best interest to make sure that things are reliable. Your life, <laughs> the life of your boat crews and shipmates and uh, the public that you're dedicated to serving and protecting are at risk if your systems are not reliable. It's kind of like, uh, you know, servicing an airplane that you're going to fly on. Same, same kind of idea. Uh, I retired from the Coast Guard in 2003 and began working as a consultant. And so in 2004, I started my own company, and my company's name is uh, Allidade Maintenance Engineering and Reliability, or Allidade MER for short. 
Um, till recently, the majority of my work was in assessing developing action plans and helping clients uh, implement those plans to improve maintenance and reliability. I still do those things, but I've begun to shift my focus more towards uh, productive leadership. Um, so that's kind of my background and, and how I got involved with maintenance and reliability. <laughs> so you have the knack. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Dilbert knack, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> so Tom, you know, it's kind of interesting background and, and it's it's good to hear. And so can you tell us a little bit about productive leadership and the book? Like, w- what's it about? Yeah, sure. So um, the book is intended to accomplish a couple of things. The first is, um, if you're familiar, back in 2015, I did a leadership survey with Plant Services Magazine. And we had about 300 respondents. And it clearly showed that about half of supervisors and managers um, received insufficient leadership training. It also showed that when leadership training was more frequent or, or sufficient, um, the motivation levels of those leaders was higher. And so I wanted to help the thousands of supervisors and mid-level managers to be efficient and effective leaders. So uh, it's it's also why I've been writing the Plant Services uh, Human Capital Monthly Column for more than 10 years. Uh, for me, it just feels like it's a way to give back. Uh, I feel I've been uh, very blessed to have had the opportunities and experiences that I've had. Um, so second, uh, what I've seen over and over is that Deming's quote about a bad system defeating good people is exactly right. Um, there are a lot of good leaders in every organization. There's also many leaders that could be better leaders, even great leaders, if the system that they worked in was better. So in fact, the current focus on the aging of the workforce and scarcity of skilled workers, uh, it's critically important for employers to focus on leadership talent in their organization. So people find it much easier to leave an organization uh, when they have when the when that organization hasn't invested in leadership systems or uh, or invested in the leaders themselves. So it boils down to the book addresses two issues by emphasizing on the importance of accountability. Uh, it provides a model for assigning accountability, and then it provides the important things that a leader needs to be and to know in order to be a productive leader. Um, I also like to point out that uh, I don't believe in creating a monolithic robotic leader. Just as each person has a personality, each leader will have their own way of leading. So what I try to do is create the parameters or a framework within which individual leaders can still exhibit their style um, while they're still being efficient and effective. So you said one thing there about what leaders should do and what they should know. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, sure. Um, so, as I said, there's um, the the uh, productive leadership system is based on accountability. So there has to be a system that assigns accountability, right? So uh, there's a se- there's accountabilities across each level of leadership for a senior leader and a and a subordinate or junior person in that relationship. So as each of those leaders needs to carry out their accountabilities, they should have specific sets of skills and and knowledge that helps them to execute. And uh, when we get into the productive leadership model, 
Uh, it's basically a leader provided with direction and guidance, applying leadership roles, attributes, and skills through uh, sources of power to influence others to achieve goals. That's the long definition of what productive leadership is. So each of those elements, so the leader themselves, they need to, number one, be uh, comfortable with responsibility. Uh, they should also have a personal mission, vision, value set that is uh, aligned with their position in the organization, so it's a good fit. Uh, when I talk about leadership roles, uh, there's five leadership roles. That's uh, expert technician, manager, administrator, coach, systems thinker, and visionary. And then uh, there are leadership attributes. There's five leadership attributes. Those are the characteristics that a leader needs to uh, demonstrate. And that the uh, first letters of that um, of each of those five spells karma with a C. And that is uh, consistent, attentive, respectful, motivational, and assertive. Um, and I know karma is really spelled with a K, but I was uh, faced with the choice of spelling consistent with a K or karma with a C, and karma lost. <laughs> I may pay for that later. Um, and then there's uh, five leadership skills, and these are the skills that are normally taught when somebody goes to the Holiday Inn for a half-a-day leadership seminar. Um, but as you'll gain understanding of what the productive leadership system is, you'll note that these leadership skills are insufficient uh, by themselves. They're important, but they're, it's not the whole thing to leadership. And those uh, leadership skills are time management, communication, empowerment, giving and receiving feedback, and conflict resolution. Uh, then uh, the sources of power. When I talk about sources of power, there are two power bases and seven sources of power within those two power bases. Uh, the first power base is uh, position power, and that's basically the power or the authority that's been delegated down to you based on your position in the organization. Um, it's legitimate power. Uh, the second power base is personal power. And that is power that's given to you by others. So it could be from above, it could be from your peers, it can be from the people that uh, report to you. Um, it's more about how you carry yourself, how you interact with others. Um, you've all heard the term uh, informal leader, and that's an informal leader has expert power or referent power that others give to them based on how they treat others. Um, so a leader needs to know their sources of power and how to use them effectively. And then uh, influencing others, I talk about um, the different uh, needs theories. Uh, the three of them I talk about in particular in the book is Maslow. Everybody's heard, heard of uh, Maslow's uh, uh, needs theory. Uh, but I also talk about um, McClellan's needs theory and uh, Hertzberg's motivator hygiene theory. Um, just and what those do is give the leader some background on needs and motivations. So how do you um, how do you approach people to make them more motivated about learning something about or about taking on a responsibility or about carrying out a responsibility? And then the last part of that is the uh, is goals, right? Setting goals and goals are really um, just kind of the intermediate piece between. Um, execution and objectives, right? So how do we 
How do we execute to get to the objectives? Maybe we have interim goals that allow us to, to bridge that gap. And those can be adjusted periodically. All of that is within, uh, you know, the when I said earlier that the leader has to be provided with direction and guidance, or I'm sorry, direction and requirements. Uh, direction are the organization's mission, vision, values, and objectives. And requirements are the, what I call guidance and assets. And guidance are the uh, policies, plans, processes, procedures, and measures. And assets are the things needed to carry out guidance. So uh, if, if this was a visual thing, it'd be a lot easier to, to show on the models. Uh, but that's in a nutshell, that's the uh, productive leadership model. Interesting. And I think a lot of our listeners, like we're in a position where I guess we're more informal leaders instead of necessarily like plant managers or or that type of thing. Now, do you have any like do you have any tips for them? Like how should we as informal leaders start on the journey to, you know, implementing the productive leadership system? Yeah, so I'm sure every author would respond by saying, buy my book or uh, ask me to work with your organization to address those solutions. Uh, and I do have a two-day workshop that I offer uh, in, you know, I've been providing that for a couple of years now, and I'd be happy to schedule a workshop for those that are interested. However, uh, aside from my direct involvement, uh, I've already discussed uh, kind of in detail the elements of the productive leadership system. Um, so let me give you kind of the Cliff Notes uh, version uh, so uh, what a leader can, can think of and do. So organizations spend a lot of money on leadership training and they get uh, little or no value from it because the system that should support leaders is typically insufficient or dysfunctional. So remember, a bad system beats good people every time. And so uh, don't put the cart before the horse. That's what I would say first. So focus first on the policy and creating the direction and requirements that supports productive leadership. So if, and you know, if you don't like the models that I created, that's fine. You can create your own model, but um, it should be intuitive, teachable, and effective. Um, and then implement that model and drive it to a common practice. And if the project is for a large organization, start with the more senior leaders and provide them with the education and training on productive leadership, uh, then hold them accountable. Uh, so as each level of leadership is indoctrinated into this um, new program of productive leadership, you can move down to the next lowest level. Um, if it's an individual uh, manager of a department or function or a supervisor that's in charge of a work center, you can still create a policy, communicate, uh, and, uh, you know, have an accountability model. And you can train yourself and other leaders in that group on productive leadership. So regardless of the scale of the project, uh, updating performance evaluations and position descriptions are, are kind of a, a good start uh, and then help prospective leaders to gain experience in leadership so that they are prepared for a potential leadership role. And when I talk about prospective leaders, that might be, um, you know, a, a, a tradesman that has ambition to become a supervisor or manager down the road. That person is a prospective leader. So you want to 
do what you can to empower that person to learn the things they need to learn in the leadership frame uh, before they assume the position of leadership. Uh, there was a study done. Um, oh, gosh, I'm forgetting who did it. Um, but anyway, there was a study done a number of years ago uh, that showed that the average time that a leader sh uh, that a supervisor spent as a supervisor was about 11 years. And it was about nine years on average before that leader received leadership training. So that's really backwards. Um, so I, what I would do is work to make sure that you prepare people for leadership positions before you put them there. Now, one thing you, you mentioned is that leadership training is ineffective. Now, I guess there's two aspects to this question, but what does leadership training look like for you? And then what like what makes it ineffective or what makes it effective? Yeah, so um, when I do these workshops, uh, I'll compare, say, the typical, what I call the uh, one and done training. And uh, one and done is what I call, you know, a, a plant manager will know that there's a leadership issue because maybe absenteeism and, and turnover is going up. Safety is starting to suffer. Um, you see people abusing their break times and just, you know, signals like that. And so what they'll do is they'll contact their HR person and they'll say, hey, set me up for some leadership training for, you know, all of our supervisors and managers. And so the HR person will call around three or four of the local leadership training organizations and they select the one on what I call the glossiest flyer lowest cost index. <laughs> and that training usually happens at a holiday inn. It might be a half a day or a full day. And you get maybe a dozen of the folks from the plant go there to the training. A couple of them say, you know, it was a complete waste of time. About half of them say it was good training, but, uh, you know, they're kind of skeptical that they'll be able to apply it. And a couple of them loved it. They think it was great. They all go back to work and really nothing changes. And uh, the reason nothing changes is because the system that they're in hasn't changed. Um, so, as I said, the productive leadership system is uh, having a productive leadership policy, having a, uh, a model that assigns accountability among the senior leader and the subordinate leader across each leadership level, uh, and then giving the individual leaders the productive leadership training, right, on all those things that I mentioned a few minutes ago. Uh, and then having a productive leadership development program in place so that you are continually, you know, every couple of years refreshing that training on people so that it's it's constantly being refreshed. So you would train half to a third of your people every two years or three years, right? Um, and so putting that whole system together, that's why there's a, a major difference between what I call the one and done training uh, where the, the, you know, training entity gets paid, but you really don't get any value or results. Uh, most organizations also are not measuring whether they're getting any value. Um, that uh, team effectiveness and motivation survey I did with uh, Plant Services Magazine, um, something like that would be a great way to measure. I know a lot of organizations use the Q12 or other climate survey type documents, but you need to do something so that you can measure whether you're moving the needle or not on, uh, on job uh, satisfaction for the people in the plant. And it's really best if you can link 
the individual leaders, say a shop supervisor, with the people in their shop so that if the motivation levels of the people in that shop are low uh, and then they move up based on this person getting good, uh, good quality productive leadership training, then you can actually quantify what's the value of the training program. Yeah, that's that's something I don't think a lot of organizations do, even in a sense like, let's say you send somebody to vibration analysis training, like I still don't think people connect the dots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and so when I put the, uh, when I developed the workshop, part of the reason I did that, um, and I also offer a half a day, so that I do a two-day productive leadership workshop with the supervisors and managers who attend, but I also do a half a day overview of productive leadership for the people that they report to. Okay, so when the managers of the people who attend the training get that overview training, I also kind of give them guidance on how do you hold those people accountable to apply what they learned. Uh, Because any training that you do, if you don't repeat it, if you don't use it, you lose it, right? So in pretty much any button seat training, even computer-based training, if you don't use it, you only retain 10 to 20% of the material. And so uh, what I want to do is have those uh, more senior people put on their calendars uh, every couple of weeks to check back with these folks to ask them, uh, how are you doing with time management? Are you spending time in uh, coaching role uh, at the percent that we discussed? Um, do you put it on their um, evaluations, their performance evaluations, so that you can, you know, make sure that you're hitting those subjects to make sure that they're applying what they've learned? So uh, between that and, uh, you know, also requiring you know, suggesting that they do uh, annual training for one half to one third of their leaders so that you're constantly refreshing that information uh, and then periodically doing the team effectiveness and uh, motivation survey so that they can, uh, you know, measure that uh, things have improved. Now, can anyone be a leader or is this like something that you're born with? Uh, I am a uh, very firmly in the corner that people can learn to be leaders. I don't think there are there is such a thing as born leaders. There are people that are more amenable to it. There are people that their socialization up to the point that they get put into a leadership position has been such that they, you know, they've learned the things that they needed to learn earlier in life and they're it's a lot easier for them. But I think anybody that has the desire to be a leader can learn. Uh, remember all of those, uh, the leadership roles, attributes, skills, sources of power, and uh, influencing others, those are all things that are teachable, right? So if you know that you need to be consistent, uh, attentive, respectful, motivational, and assertive, you can remind yourself that those are the things that I need to be. You can learn how to be those things. Right. So and again, uh, I'm not trying to create a monolithic, uh, you know, one size fits all leadership style. I think there's everybody has their own unique personality and features and they're going to be the leader that they need to be. But there are parameters that create uh, the possibility to be a productive leader. Yeah. 
That's really interesting. Now, I, now I guess one thing I wanna I wanna discuss a little bit here is like a lot of obviously this is we're we're a reliability podcast, right? So how does productive leadership like like I guess the subtitle to your book says maximizing organizational reliability. So how does productive leadership impact reliability? Yeah. So in first off that uh, productive leadership applies to all functions, right? So operations, support functions, maintenance, uh, doesn't matter. I, I purposely did this book so that it would suit any, it, it could be an engineer that has been a staff engineer and now they're getting promoted to be the engineering manager, right? It doesn't, doesn't really matter what the function is. But if we talk about within the reliability field itself, uh, asset management, reliability, uh, uh, maintenance management side of the house. Um, so, I, you know, again, I, I over 15 years of doing consulting, uh, I kept seeing the same things happening where uh, organizations would buy a new piece of software and they would be sold this software uh with the caveat, well, just buy this module for your industry and just put that in place <laughs> and everything's going to work great. Uh, we all know that that doesn't work. Uh, what needs to happen is, of course, you need to build a process and then have the software mimic your work management process, not the other way around. Uh, because culture and habits and all that stuff, which I have a section in the book on how you know, the, the science be behind creating a culture occurs. Uh, but if you don't have leadership, if you don't have a system that supports leadership, then when you try to put in place a, an improved work management process, so planning and scheduling or getting your uh, materials management in order or bringing aboard a, uh, you know, uh, uh, condition monitoring program, vibration, infrared, ultrasound, motor circuit analysis, all of those things will fail if you don't have the leadership support, if you don't have a system in place that allows accountability or supports accountability uh, and, and assigns accountability for functions, uh, just doesn't work. And so the, like right now, there's all this buzz about uh, automate, uh, you know, automated uh, intelligence and IIoT, machine learning, edge computing, all this stuff. It's just like 30 years ago with vibration analysis. It's a it's a cool thing that should add a lot of value to an organization. But what they what all these things do is it just gives you information on what needs to be done. People still need to actually make decisions on what will be done, and then what will be done needs to be executed. So if you if you can't do the basics well then save your money until you can do the basics well <laughs> yeah I, I think a lot of people have have purchased those solutions and they're kind of unhappy with the results but i don't think it's necessarily like it's not the technology that's bad it's the system in place that's not working for them yeah and there's and so one of the things that i highlight in the book is you know, there's this interplay between guidance and assets, right? So remember, guidance are policies, plans, processes, procedures, and measures. And assets are the things needed to carry them out, right? So if you don't have uh, good documentation, if you don't have good guidance that tells people what they are being asked to do, and then you don't 
uh, so the first place, if you don't have good guidance, then you can't identify what are all the assets that I need to carry it out. Okay, so that's the first problem. The second problem is once I have the guidance in place, I need to define what those assets are. So for instance, if I'm a shop supervisor and for all of the things that you're asking my work center to do, I need 10 people. Well, but now we've got a bunch of turnover and uh, we can't find qualified people to fill positions. So really right now I only have seven qualified people in my shop. So can I still carry out everything that I need to do that's in the guidance that, that my superiors have given me? The answer is probably no. So if you don't have what you need, the accountability is on the senior person to alter your guidance or alter your assets so that you have what you need, right? It's not on that junior person to just, quote, figure it out. Uh, that's when the senior person is abdicating their accountability. And uh, what I say about that is it depends on the relationship between the subordinate and the senior person. But um, I always like to use the term unless otherwise directed. So if I'm that junior supervisor and I don't have all the assets that I need uh, to carry out my responsibilities, I will make a recommendation. And if I don't get a response from that senior person, I'll say I'm going to carry out my recommendation unless otherwise directed. And so what it's doing, and, and you do that in writing, of course. And so what that does is it puts the accountability back on the senior person. If they say nothing, that means they're concurring with what you're doing. And if they come back and give you guidance, uh, you know, give you direction uh, different than what your recommendation is, again, they still own it. So, Tom, you know, I think a lot of us, we've worked in a bunch of organizations and we've seen a lot of, I don't know, I don't know if it's mistakes, but we've seen a lot of things that leadership does that we don't necessarily agree with. Do you want to give us some of your top common mistakes that leaders make? And, and then, like, how do we as people avoid making those mistakes? Yeah, so um, first, um, I, a leader should consider their job as a leader as their profession, right? So if you're a shop supervisor, you're no longer a tradesman. Sorry, but, you know, you're collecting a paycheck now as a supervisor and your job is now to get the best performance from your team. It's not to be a tradesman. So put the tools down and focus on your trade as a leader. And the same thing can be said for that engineering manager, you know, diving back down. Uh, organizations are paying their leaders to work at the level that they're being paid to work at, right? So one of the hardest things, the two hardest things for a leader to, to learn initially is to, number one, put down the tools and not be the technician anymore. The second thing that's really hard for them to learn is how do you uh, correct people that used to be your peers, right? How do you give them corrective feedback? How do you, you know, uh, counsel them when they're not doing what they're supposed to do? And so uh, learning to do those two things well is, uh, you know, or not learning to do those things well is a mistake. Uh, so you ask what mistakes we should avoid. Um, so another thing is to um, educate and train yourself on the concepts of accountability, the organizational reliability model and, and productive leadership um, so that you can be accountable yourself and you can hold other people accountable properly, right? That doesn't mean be a till of the hun and come down hard on people all the time. It means learning how to 
give positive feedback and corrective feedback the right way. Um, you know, remember that uh, that subordinate person can still influence up by using that phrase unless otherwise directed. Um, and, and another thing that I think uh, that would help if, uh, if you're a leader, um, you know, make things your, your uh, direct reports ideas and, and let them present and let them be the people to uh, bring things out. Um, so th train yourself to use these two questions is what I would say too. So um, the two questions are what needs to be done and how would you do it? Right. So if you're a manager and you have a supervisor coming to you saying that this is a problem. So your response should be, OK, what needs to be done and let them bring the solutions to you. And if it's a reasonable solution, you know, how would you do it? If it's a reasonable solution, let them do it. Right. It may not be the optimum solution. You might have ideas on how to do it differently or better. But you know what? Somebody gave you the opportunity to learn how to do things. So you need to give give. Um, the people, you know, you need to give them a hand up by helping them to, you know, be that person that makes those decisions. And um, so those questions, they, you know, kind of show respect uh, from the senior person without jumping in and solving the problem themselves. It's more motivating uh, than when the senior person just dictates what the answer is. I love that. I, re I really love that. And I think it's, yeah, it's motivating. It's engaging for the people. And it, it really a lot of the times, you know, they'll have a better solution than you will because they're just more close to it. Right. And even if you were that, you know, master technician, a master tradesman, uh, you might know the, the right way to do it, or maybe you knew the right way to do it 10 years ago, but now there's a new technology or a new procedure that's even better, right? So you open yourself up to seeing some better things, maybe. Absolutely. So, Tom, you know, we, we talked about mistakes. Now, what are some top tips that you have about productive leadership? So um, put uh, so what I would say first is put a productive leadership policy in place, right? Uh, make sure that the mission, vision and values and objectives for each department and work center are clear. Um, and so that those two things, having a productive leadership policy statement in place, and having clear direction, mission, vision, values, and objectives, that provides a direction, right? So as you go down through the organization, every level of leadership, they need to review those mission, vision, values, and, and uh, refine the objectives for their function or their work center. Um, the productive leadership policy that I talk about that, what does a policy document do? It explains the purpose of what a program within the organization is, and it assigns roles and responsibilities to key persons and others within the organization. So everybody should understand what their roles and responsibilities are with regard to a productive leadership uh, program. Um, make sure accountabilities are clearly defined and communicated and make sure that accountable people are accountable right so i, I was at a shipyard uh earlier this year and i said that to the senior uh leadership at the shipyard and they said well how do you how do you instill accountability i said the first thing is for you guys in this room uh to be accountable you have to model the activities and the, the uh, performance that you expect out of others. Um, so that's the first thing, right? 
Uh, and then make sure that each department or work center has a core management process that's well-defined. So like in maintenance, it's your work management process. Make sure that it's well-defined. Make sure that uh, you know people understand what it is and they have the assets needed to carry it out. Um, identify the assets that are needed to fully perform the guidance. So when I talk about assets needing to be fully defined, I mean by you have to define the asset type, the quantity, the quality, and the life cycle of the asset. So life cycle is often overlooked. When you think about, say, uh, a building uh, HVAC automation system or some production line system that has control software, um, if that software, I mean, that software is going to need to be updated periodically. So if we don't build that update into the budget, then every time it needs to be done, you're fighting for the budget dollars, right? So um, the senior leader needs to authorize the funding for updates and, and or that asset is no longer available to perform as it should. It sounds like there's a lot of connection between this productive leadership system and asset management. Is that is that true or is that am I reading it wrong? No, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so I've been I, I started with a product. I'm sorry, with a uh, organizational reliability model probably 15 years ago. And I started forming it and building it and everything. And the last few years after uh, the standard for asset management, ISO 55000 series came out, I started looking at that and I started melding. Uh, so if you think about uh, in the book, I talk about it, uh, and I actually have an appendix in the book that's an overview of uh, asset management, just so people can see how closely tied it is. And so uh, if you look at the organizational reliability model, it is an asset management system, but it's just, I call it the organizational reliability model because, um, you know, that's that's what it is to me. It's how, how you create a reliable organization. Uh, and it's all based on accountability. So, uh, yeah, it's very closely tied to ISO 55000. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, this was this was a fun one. Now, Tom, do you have anything to plug? Like, are you going to be at any conferences? Obviously, people who are listening, they should they should check out the book, The Productive Leadership System. They should also check out your website, Alidade M.E.R. So are you going to be at any conferences coming up or should they follow you on LinkedIn? Like, what do you got for us? Yeah, so thanks. I appreciate this opportunity. Yeah, so regarding uh, productive leadership, um, I invite you know listeners to get a copy of my book. It's uh, it's available right now from Industrial Press. It is called the uh, Productive Leadership System. Only costs forty four ninety five, and uh, I'm told that soon it's going to be available on Amazon and uh, other online bookstores. And um, it's available in soft cover, and I believe it's available in ebook format now. Uh, and uh, I am an SMRP approved provider. So uh, this year I presented uh, productive leadership workshops and papers at the SMRP symposium in Phoenix and the uh, annual conference a couple weeks ago in Louisville. And I'm also pre uh, presenting, uh, have presented and, and I'm open to presenting for uh, various uh, SMRP chapters. Uh, I will be at a conference uh, in a couple of weeks here, the uh, Excelix uh, Accelerate Conference. It's down near Fort Myers, uh, November 12 to 14. Uh, the Industrial Press uh, is having a um, uh, bookstore 
And so I'll be at the conference signing books and uh, talking about accountability. And um, I did uh, put in to present a workshop and a paper at the Marcon uh, 2020 conference at the University of Tennessee. Haven't heard back yet. Uh, I am hoping to get that. Uh, and then currently I've got some non-public uh, workshops that are scheduled, uh, but I'm very actively looking for uh, other regions or groups that want to sponsor public workshops. Uh, so let me know if any listeners are interested. And aside from uh, productive leadership, uh, you know, I'd like listeners to know that I've been a consultant for over 15 years and working across many industries. And uh, my history has been uh, with all things maintenance and reliability. So uh, if your organization needs maintenance and reliability assessment or help with training or implementing best practices, I'm open for business. Uh, I can be contacted. My, my office phone is uh, 321-773. 3356. And unfortunately, due to the explosion of junk calls, I tend to let the answering machine get that one. So uh, please let it go through to the answering machine and leave me a message uh, and I'll return your call. Uh, as you said, my uh, website is www.alidade-mer.com and that's A-L-I-D-A-D-E the hyphen symbol, and then the letters M-E-R, as in maintenance, engineering, and reliability.com. Uh, my mobile number, uh, cell phone, is 321-961-4306, and you know, I'll take calls or texts on that line. And my LinkedIn account is uh, linkedin.com slash in slash allidate-mer. And for those that read my monthly uh, plant services magazine, uh, if you have a specific issue that you'd like me to address in an article, please let me know. Contact me. Uh, after 10 years of writing those articles monthly, sometimes the pump runs a little dry and I can sometimes use help priming the pump, uh, you know, by giving me article ideas. And so, Rob, I just wanted to say thank you and your listeners for spending this time with me. And uh, I, as uh, I usually close out my plant services articles, I'll say go forth and do great things. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate you coming on, Tom. And if if people are listening, just check the podcast notes. I'll put all of Tom's contact info in there. So if you're driving to work right now, you don't have to be texting on at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> because we still believe safety first. So so don't Absolutely. do that. <laughs> Absolutely. So Tom, I, I appreciate you coming on and, and we'll definitely have to have you back on. I, I would like to talk more about you know, about leadership and about reliability and, and connected dots for people. But we'll have to we'll have to let you go and hit the links. Absolutely. I got golf balls to lose. <laughs> Perfect. So everyone who's still listening, I, I really appreciate you listening. I hope you enjoyed this one. If you haven't yet, just follow Rob's Reliability Project on LinkedIn and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next week.